Hi, I'm Miriam. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi. Uh, okay, so I'm going to share my experience, strength, and hope. Um, I came to this program when I was a one week before turning 18. I did not get abstinent, though, for about six years. But I did the best I could. Um, what it used to be like. I'll give you an example of what it used to be like. And um, I lost kind of everything through this disease in terms of caring about myself. And I, I say this. Um, hmm. So I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes at the age of 9. And uh, I remember the doctor saying, and back then the medical there weren't as many medical advancements as there are now but I remember the doctor saying you can never eat sugar again and I mean it hit me like I mean it's like as vivid in my brain right now as I hear it and I remember thinking what you know and um, my blood sugars my diet was controlled by my mother who was a very loving mother by the way but I hated and resented her until I worked the steps I, I blamed that woman for everything until and, my, and I'm a mother now because of this program so I'm like oh my god please don't. anyway so uh, so anyway um, and it was controlled really truly and, and, I, and then about 11 years old my mother was no longer at the school. She was an aide to kind of watch and oversee things in my classroom, my, my teacher's classroom. And, um, and I remember when nobody was looking finally, that's when I went nuts. And I remember the Kit Kats. I remember these big brownies. I remember the big chocolate chip cookies. And I just started going to town. At, this was about 11 to 12 years old. And, um, and I, didn't, I, I, I wasn't mature enough to really comprehend what was really going on, I don't think. Um, but I remember gaining about 65 pounds that year. And I remember seeing myself as a monster, my seventh grade school picture, and going, who is this person? And, um, and then just feeling like I have to lose the weight. I mean, I remember being like 165, 170 in middle school. And all that I could think about from that point on was I have to lose weight, I have to lose weight. And, and everybody in my family... And I say this, too, because it plays a role. My um, uncle was my pediatrician, and, and he was the one who diagnosed me with the diabetes, and his friend was my doctor. And so the two of them at family functions, just kind of, they'd look at me like, you know. I, I always felt like this whenever they were around, you know, like, don't blow it. Don't blow, you know, what are you eating? What is she eating? You know, and that was topic of discussion. I remember it, you know, and... Um, I just kind of shrunk. I shrunk more and more. I started to try to overachieve, to overcompensate this eating thing that I couldn't overcome. And um, I just remember crying every night, going, God, why'd you give me this? You know, I can do school. I can, I'm working and going to school. You know, I did at 15. I started working. I started going to school. I was in clubs. I did all these things just to kind of, I don't know, run. And um, 
And the more I tried, the worse it got. And it's funny, I, I live in the valley, the valley, and I was driving over here, and I remember where my father would take the exact same route I took, where he'd go down Wilshire, you know, over to Beverly, and then over to, because there was an adolescent experimental weight loss program at UCLA that I'd go to, you know, every week, and, 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 uh, they try to control it that way, you know. And I remember thinking, this time I'm going to lose the weight. This time I'm going to do it. This time I'm going to do it. And it's not about knowledge. You know, I knew how to eat. I wrote it down every day. But I'd break it by midday, you know. And, and for, for years I did this. And, um, and I was hospitalized twice for this disease. Um, they would say, her blood sugars are out of control. Her blood sugar. And, and I would go, oh, my God, oh, my God. And the truth is... It was such a sense of hopelessness. Like, I didn't know. I didn't know how to stop. I didn't know how to get better. Um, I really thought diets and losing weight was the answer. Um, because that's what you see. That's what they tell you. You know? That's what I believed. And then um, things just got worse. And I couldn't stop. And um, I remember I was binging on bread. You know, I was in between diets. I was like in between Diet Center and Jenny Craig. And I remember, I hope it's okay. I'm on a podcast. I didn't know this, by the way, until I got here. It's like, oh, oh, really? I remember at one meeting, the guy Googled what I had said earlier and then showed me. You know, on Google, it says what you said. I'm like, whoa, first time anyone's Googled my words. Anyway, um, so I just, I just remember being in between those two diets, and, and I had binged. I was like, finally, I'm off a diet. And, and I would just maintain 170 on a diet. Like, it got to a point where all I knew was how to be on a diet. And I would, you know, eat here and eat there in between. And, but I'm on a diet, don't you know? And I'd go in, you know, and I'd lose weight. Maybe, maybe not. I maintained 170. And, and I remember when I... I remember just being off finally like one of the diets wasn't working and in between I probably gained about eight to nine pounds in one week because I was so like finally I'm off a diet you know and then I went to the next diet and by the next diet I was starting to feel more and more hopeless and I remember um, my parents and I talk about this because it's part of my experience I remember one time see they would hide some they would hide food from me because I would get it and um, they hid a double bo- they had a double box, big large double box of Godiva chocolate. Some of you may have heard this. And they put it in their armoire in their bedroom. And but and they said, Well we'll hide it. We're gonna hide this. I remember thinking, they've got it, they're hiding it. such a drug addict. You know, I'm such a drug addict with food. And uh <laughs> you know, mind you I'm diabetic. I don't care, I want that chocolate. So I was like, They're gone. They left. I was probably fifteen or sixteen. And um, I went and I searched for it, and I found it in the armoire. And it's this double-layer box, so I thought, I'll have one underneath. They'll never know, right? Well, you know what happens, the phenomenon of craving. So all of a sudden, I had another one and then another one. There were probably 50 chocolates in here, so I'm thinking they're still not going to know. Well, by the end of it, I probably had about 11 or 12 or 13. I don't even know, but I felt so sick afterwards, and I'm trying to rearrange everything. Well, by this time, they're going to know. Absolutely, they're going to know. And then, because I'm diabetic, and normal blood sugars now for me, I'd say 95% of the time, is between 80 and 130, okay? When you eat that much chocolate, it skyrocketed up to about 400, 
Okay, so after eating the chocolate, and then my par- and then the horror and the humiliation which I felt every single day in this disease. Oh my God, they're going to know. They're going to find out. They know this. And then, um, so so just the the self hate, the self loathing. They found out. And then the blood sugar's going up. And because I had stopped caring more and more, I shot myself, and I live now on about 20 to 25 units of insulin for 24 hours. I shot myself just randomly 50 units of insulin just to get my blood sugars down, right? Didn't care because I just wanted them back down to normal. So on top of the self-hate, the going up, by the way, physiologically, you feel horrible, when it goes up that high, shooting myself with insulin, and then shoot, it, it, it plummeted down to about 50. Then I panicked going, oh, my God, now i got to have something to bring it back up, you know, and just having orange juice, a big glass of orange juice, which I didn't want, just to bring it back up. And that's my day. And then I'd, have, and then I'd go to work at night and go to school during the day. You know, I'm 16. That fucking sucks, you know. So, and I always do this when I speak because I don't realize how my life is now until I speak sometimes, you know. Uh, The spiritual malady. So, I really had been searching for people, places, and things to fulfill me. And it wasn't working. In fact, I have learned in this program that having money, being educated, having things... Having prestige makes it worse um, for me. I thought that having money or attaining things or success was what was also going to make me okay. I found that the more I chased that, the worse I got. For me, not everybody. You know, some people can function just fine and do well and, you know, don't need the spiritual stuff and have all that. For me, I found that when I read the 12 and 12, that it really was putting the cart before the horse. See, the problem was me and my thinking. I was diseased. My thinking was the disease. So, um, finally, about 18, after being just kind of like worse and worse, my mother, who I hated, said, why don't you go to Overeaters Anonymous? And I remember even going when I was 17 to one meeting in Reseda, and I, was, and I went to one meeting, and I was like, mm, this isn't for me. I couldn't comprehend it. I couldn't relate. But then I had hit another kind of low, and I went when I was 18. And I'll be honest with you. I saw the steps on the wall, and they could have been Japanese characters. I mean, turning it over, I, higher power, I didn't get it. But, um, but what kept me staying and, and I say this, you know, for everybody's story, everybody's experience, you know, I had to get from here to here, which was that six years of hanging out, to finally get to a true, true bottom, to be willing to surrender everything, surrender my beliefs, surrender my ideas, and get a sponsor who told me what to do. Those first three years of her sponsoring me, I was terrified of her. But I did what she said, and that's where I had to be. You know, there was no way I was going to be here if I hadn't gone through this first. 
And when I finally surrendered and realized that my ideas are, are out, I can't follow anything anymore, um, that's when my program just really took off. You know, that's when I got some serious commitments. I, but anyway, beforehand, um, those first six years, what kept me coming back was for the first time in my life, I didn't feel so wrong. And for the first time in my life, I didn't feel so um, messed up. I didn't feel so alone. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, Harvard, Stanford, all those colleges, none of that matters if you're not talking about the truth. You know, the truth is I have a problem. And the truth is I need help. And the truth is, you know, studies, schmuddies, you know, all <laughs> what matters is, I mean, this program is, is magical. And this program, the spiritual aspect of it, is what has saved my life. When I finally realized I was broke and that um, I don't know what to do anymore, you know, I really am screwed. And I knew that if I kept going the way I was going, I was on my way to a fast death. You know, I didn't know anything but to live in hell with the food, and I couldn't get out. I really couldn't. I tried over and over and over and over. So when I came here, people talked about eating out of the trash. I had done that. People talked about eating when nobody was looking through the night. I had done that. People talked about, um, you know, saying they're not going to eat that piece of cake. And then all they're thinking about is that cake. And they have to have it. That was me. I didn't have anything to stop me. But when I came here, um, I learned that there's a higher power that I can start to believe or act as if I believe in it. Um, I tried it as an experiment. And my sponsor taught me everything I, I know. I couldn't have done this alone. And the truth is in the big book, which I have big books, um, I, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, when they told me in these rooms that I have, I'm an alcoholic with food, you know. I'm an addict with food. I have to have that food. I have to do my behaviors without this program. Without this program, I don't. And the way I don't do it is by acting as if there's a higher power that's going to protect me. My higher power, um, when I started to really work this program, was kind of like, in the, it sounds silly, but it worked. You know, I would act like my higher power was in the form of a ghost um, that was in an empty chair and protecting me. You know, when I had to do things that I was terrified of doing, um, it's you know, talk about growth. I'm not afraid today to speak in front of people, but, you know, for years I was terrified. You know, for years I was terrified to do anything. And I remember being at Serenity Sunday, and I was shaking at the podium. I had 63 days of abstinence. And I was shaking at the podium because I was so afraid my first year of abstinence of losing this thing that when people joked about binging the night before or whatever, and everybody was like, ha, 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 that's funny. You had this instead of that. And I thought, this is not funny. <laughs> you know, I was shaking. I was a drug addict coming off of drugs. I was like, this is not funny. Don't you understand? You know, we have this by the grace of, you know, and, and I really felt passionate about this program. I still do. This program is very sacred to me. It's my life. So anyway, relying on that higher power, my sponsor taught me through the literature how to work the program. I sponsor people that way. Um, and it really was about surrendering and shut up, shutting up. 
you know, I like at this meeting how they say, who's abstinent 30 days or less? You know, basically you're a newcomer and you are a newcomer. And they told me you're no longer one lady who is in an old age home, Charlotte Gerson. She's A-A-N-O-A, who I still talk to today. And she says, one day God's going to take me. I'm still waiting. You know, she's very funny. She's lovely. And she would say to me, Miriam, I don't care what you what what people say in this program. The difference between OA and AA is this. In OA, if you get two months of abstinence, which I was a shaking lunatic for the first year, crazy nuts, crazy nuts off of my food and behavior, she'd say the difference is this. In OA, you get two months of abstinence. You start to lose five to ten pounds. People start to think you're a guru. In AA, if you have two months of sobriety, people tell you to sit down and shut up. You don't know anything. And I just remember like, oh, okay, okay. So I can feel crazy. It's okay. You know, and I felt crazy for those first five years. And I remember, and this sounds so silly, but, you know, I grew up a fat girl. I did, but I had that great personality, you know, don't you know? And I remember thinking, you know, I had the pretty friends, and I was the one with the great personality. And the guys always liked my pretty friends who didn't talk, you know, or whatever. And, and, and I remember going, what the fuck, you know, and, um, and just angry, so angry, so angry. And, um, and then finally, when I got abstinent, all of a sudden I started to, and I said, God, I don't care if it takes five years. I don't care if it takes 10 years to lose the weight. You know, I was 25 pounds away from 200. So I remember saying, I don't care. You know, I just know that if I stop thinking the way I'm thinking and I start doing what they say in this program, they say in this program that you're going to make me an attraction to newcomers. So if you're going to make me an attraction to newcomers, you're not going to make me fat and ugly. Because that wouldn't be an attraction to newcomers. So I'm going to trust that you are what they say you are in this program. And I'll do what they say because obviously I don't know anymore. So when I started to do what they said, it wasn't about the food necessarily. It was because I was writing down my food and I was calling it in and I was honest. But my sponsor didn't stress the weight loss issue. It was really about surrendering my food to somebody else. So I would write it down, tell her, tell her the truth. And she would say, well, instead of having, that's five minutes, instead of having this, why don't you have that? Or, you know, it, she said, give yourself a year before you find out what foods work for you and what foods don't. Um, I really stick to the same foods as much as possible these days. Um, it's what feels safe. It's what feels secure. But that took trial and error. So after a while, um, things got better. And after a while, I lost weight. And after a while, I mean, right now I'm like a size six. I went down to a size two, actually. Um, and boys were noticing me. And guys looked at me. And I had no social skills. I had no social skills on how to do life. I still struggle with how to do life. The only way I was able to get through that stuff was by going to God, crying to God, talking to people in the program, being honest. For me, that's the key, is when I just put it all out there, man. You know, this is how it is. And the way I see it is, I have to say my ass. I'm not here to look good. I am not here to impress. I'm here to get better, period. So if that means crying at a meeting, you know, when people are crying in my eyes, that's like honest, real stuff. I love it. 
You know, I love it when people are like, I can't get the. I love it because that means you're on, man. You are real. You are probably abstinent, you know, because you're feeling. And I don't know why. Growing up, and I think a lot of us are like, I panic. I still panic when I feel feelings, you know, because I'm afraid it's it's exhausting. Sometimes I'm emotional. I'm emo- I, I'm I've accepted. I'm emotional. This is who I am, you know. It's fine. My poor husband. I got married to a normie because of being abstinent. I'm a mom. I still go, God, are you sure about this one? <laughs> God, we just got a puppy, too. Holy cow. <laughs> Holy cow. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm a professional, and I speak in front of large groups of people, and I go, are you sure about this one? Again? You know, okay, I'll do it. You know, the only way I'm able to do any of this is through a higher power. Without my higher power, without working the steps, without working the tools, without surrendering my will, staying humble, humility, I strive for every day. I used to think that somehow being on top or being the prestigious one or showing your power was the way to topple and overcome things. I've learned in this program that um, humility is the key. The only reason I'm here and the only reason I'm given this second life is because I started to surrender my ways, realize I was broke, and ask God for help. Um, I look for God. Some days I'm just like, I don't know you're here. I need to know you're here. I need some bright lights. And then I'll go looking, and then I'll get some answers, and then I feel better. I do a lot of writing. Um, If I don't write and I don't use the tools, I'll eat. And I have a, my absence date is November 1st, 1998. That's really where I started to change everything, you know. But it's really, even to this day, you know, it's a struggle. It, it can be, you know, like uh, having this puppy, being sleep deprived. I don't like being sleep deprived, you know. I have my routines. In the morning, I wake up at 6. I take my sponsor's calls, you know, I'm writing down my food for the day, I read my meditation, I call my sponsor at 6.20, I take another sponsor's call at 6.30, then I plan, I write, dear God, what do you want me to do for the day? Thank you for this day. I write down what I act as, and I act as if, sometimes I don't know, sometimes, okay, do this for the day. At the end, I say, thank you, God. Um, I'm trying to up the ante a little bit to write some more at night. It's kind of hard when you have a puppy, but um, I'm doing the best I can. And um, the food is not necessarily an issue these days. It's more life, you know. But I can't do life without God's help. As soon as I'm starting to think I'm in charge or I know something, within a few days I'm learning that I don't. (laughs) I'm sorry. I, I get nuts, you know. And I'll start to believe my hype, you know. Like I'll see something... You know, the the political convention stuff out there. You know, and my husband and his side of the family, they're Midwest farmers, right? So they have opinions, let me tell you. And and I, restraint of tongue and pen, I learned that in the 12 and 12 of AA. You know, instead of saying something that will get myself in trouble, I just shut up and then I go right. And I remember, and I'll, am I done? Okay, I remember one gal, she's in Michigan now, and I'm going to bring her name up, Jeannie B. She would say she used to eat over what president was in office, you know. And I can honestly say I can understand that, which I never used to think that way. So um, my life is blessed. 
I surrendered. I took suggestion. And just keep coming back. Thanks for listening. This is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so. Do I keep standing up? Okay. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself if being recorded. I am okay. Please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. Okay, I need to restate the question because I think I am, I am being recorded. Okay, so questions? Yes. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, what, do you, what is your experience uh, you're sharing with people you might sponsor, people you know who have um, been around for a while but have not had long-term abstinence or struggles in time to time? Uh, I have learned that People, there's a, um, a, a sense of literature, a piece of literature in the AA Comes of Age where he talks about OA or AA and how there are people, he, he uses the analogy of uh, a train station. And he says that there are people who sit in the train station with their luggage. They hear the, over, the, you know, the overhead, the, the speaker. They see people going around. You know, they start to even believe they're going somewhere, sitting there with their luggage, like they're getting ready to get on a train. Truth is they haven't gotten on the train, but they start to think like they're going somewhere. It's truly when you get on that train and you are swept off to somewhere you do not know you're going to go to, that that's where the recovery began, begins. Um, I am no one to judge. I know that for me, um, hanging around for years and not truly getting abstinent and surrendering still means you're a newcomer when you start to do that. So when they finally say, oh, I've been coming around for years, when you are abstinent, you're surrendering, they're taking suggestion, you're a newcomer no matter how long you've been around. That's my experience just from the analogy of what I've read. I know one guy who's been around for 20 years, 30 years, he hasn't lost any weight. But he thinks he, he knows something, and he might. So my experience has been everyone's new when they're abstinent and they're willing to surrender. doesn't matter how long you've been around if you're not working the program. Does that make any sense? That's just my opinion. There are other people who are like, well, I've gotten something from this, and screw you. you know. So I just know that for me... When I surrender, shut up and listen. That's when things get better. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah. Uh, oh, repeat the questions. Oh, my gosh, I didn't do it the first time. Okay, I'm sorry. So... Um, what happened when my parents found that that box was gone or e- eaten up half of it? And how long did it take for me to work the steps the first time? You know, I just remember that face of pity, you know, like that, that they'd give me this look. Kind of like the alcoholic, you know, like, why can't you just get sober? What's wrong with you? It's the same look. Same look. I remember it very clearly. You know, like, what's wrong with you? Why can't you just not eat? And just that feeling of, like, I don't know. So just, you know, my poor parents, they really didn't know what to do. They tried. So I remember that face. Um, 
And then I'd get angry at them and blame them, even though that made no sense, but that's what I did. And um, working the steps, it took me about a year to surrender and work steps one through three with my sponsor. Because what she did was have me surrender, shut up, and read the literature. And then we would study the literature. And then when things came up, you know, I would do whatever she said. After about, and then we did a ceremony, a third step ceremony, and then she gave me this book about this thick, which was my four step inventory. And I have it still, and I give it to my sponsors. It was really about shutting up, surrendering, and then being willing to do the four step. The four step took me about eight months to work through and get it done. And then I did a fifth step with her. She's an attorney. So we read at this Holy Spirit Retreat Center in Encino for the whole day. I gave my four step to her. And she's just, you know, poker faced, writing down information. I'm like, what the hell is she writing? But. I didn't care. I just wanted to get better. I didn't care who I gave it to. I would have given it to the Internet. I just wanted to get better, you know, and um, and I gave it all. I don't know if that's true, but I was willing to do anything. The Internet wasn't so profound back then. But anyway, um, and I just so it took about two years to finally. And then I made amends at a Ralph's that I stole from. I'm still doing it, but I'd say overall about two years to finally start doing steps 10, 11 and 12 to get through all that. And I still go back and forth. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Yes, sir. What's your abstinence of food for the day? Okay. My abstinence right now is I write down my food for the day. I call it into a gentleman. Um, if it changes, I let him know. If it messes with my head, I let him know. Um, my sponsor, my, my sponsor who does not, after a year, she said, you don't need to call your food into me anymore. I was like, what? But I did, I, you know, she said, just write it down and just watch it. Okay, and if anything starts calling, you tell me. She focuses more on the spiritual and the steps. But I do call my food in to, get to Ken because I'm more comfortable being honest with somebody. So it's really about being honest with somebody. Um, at this point, if I'm going to have ice cream at night or have ice cream for a snack, like my husband and I, I will tell him, you know, I'm going to have a cup of ice cream tonight. And if it messes with my head... I'll say it messed with my head. I'm not going to have it for 30 days. Um, but for the first year, I didn't have any sugar. Um, at my wedding, I had a piece of cake. But I did commit it. The key is if I commit it to somebody, then I'm safe. Um, when my blood sugars are low, I will have, like, you know, something. But I will tell Ken I had a string cheese and I had a banana. But, you know, if all of a sudden I'm having a banana at lunch, at dinner, and you know at breakfast and I want to have a banana in between because it's worth nothing according to some people I need to be called on it and I will say it this is what I'm doing so I feel like I'm never done but without question you know I'm very honest about what I eat but I don't eat three meals a day because sometimes I have to eat in between does that make sense but at night I, I usually have a piece of fruit I have to have some sweet you know um, but to me, fruit comes from the earth. It's safe. But I can mess with that. I can mess with anything. I can, you know. Um, but, like, my kids are normal eaters. My husband's a normal eater. We have this big thing of Kirkland peanuts that sits on the counter all day long for people to eat. You know, that is not mine. I look at it as, like, that's alcohol I, or whatever. You know, I, that's not my gig. I don't even want it most days. But if something's going on, I'm like, uh-oh, what the hell's going on? And I have to work. It takes work. 
And that's something else I learned in this program, too, that it all takes work. You know, I'm not just going to be struck abstinent and be like, okay, see you later, all is well. God's blessed me. I have to work hard, you know, but doing all these other things is so much more worth than being back in that hell of the obsession. I'll do anything to not be back in that obsession. I'll do anything. And if that means, you know, writing, and I will complain. I am known to complain at meetings. I want to write about this. I just want to be fine, you know, and I have to work at it. I have to. It takes action. My sponsor taught me that. I tell my sponsees that. I have one sponsee right now who's fighting me. I'm doing her inventory. She's like, I don't want to do the structure. I don't want to do the routine stuff. I'm taking a vacation. And I said to her, okay, we'll see how that works. She was, she, was, she was nuts after about three days. You could tell. She was just nuts. So I'm like, yeah, our disease doesn't take a vacation. Maybe it does, but not too long. Anyway, sorry. I digress. Yeah. Thank you very much. Uh, your metabolism is unmanual. Yeah. And you need to do whatever you need to do intellectually about that. Yeah. Could you explain what portion the intellectual, if any, part plays in your program, or is it entirely spiritual? Mm. That's a hard one. Can I explain how much is intellectual? Compared to what your metabolism on that? Compared to spiritual. Okay. Well, huh, you know, I've been taught in this program that my thoughts are really not the best thoughts all the time. (laughs) And it's taking me years, truly. I'd say about at 12 years of abstinence, that's when I started to think, gee, maybe my sponsor is wrong about this. Maybe, maybe what I'm thinking is right. But I am so afraid of screwing up. That's maybe a character defect of mine. That if I'm thinking something, and and sometimes I I know I'm nuts, but I believe what I'm thinking. So I write it down. I write down my thoughts. I, I, I read it to somebody else. I get their feedback. And if I feel like I need to say something to somebody, I will. I'm starting to trust myself more. I go to God more without people and their opinion. Um, intellect can only get you so far my experience has been it doesn't matter if you have a PhD in this you know a PhD in college my cousin who also had type 1 diabetes got a PhD died of this disease at 40 with with bulimia she had type 1 diabetes bulimia PhD in college a lot of money died so my experience has been intellect means nothing you know but it's really about surrendering saying okay what's, what's the truth here I have to question a lot. If that makes any sense. I, I don't know if that fully answered it, but anyway. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, you briefly touched on the kind of societal message of, of fitness. Did you deal with the kind of, well, now that I lost weight, everything is perfect? Mm. I'll be honest. I had a great time when I started to lose the weight. And I started to get a lot of attention. I was like, holy cow. And I had fun. I did. I was single, you know. I didn't screw around with everybody. But I, I was getting, I had fun, you know. But I started to feel very vulnerable and I went to God. I said, God, I feel like I'm going to be eaten up alive, you know, and I can't go to the food. What do I do? So I would pretend that God's protecting me, you know, in all this. Um, but, yeah, I mean, what happened was I still felt nuts. 
I used to go to late night AA meetings a lot. There's a great one Saturday night in Malibu. Um, there's a great one Saturday night in Malibu that I used to go to just because I was so on edge. I was on edge for years. Just on edge, man. Just on edge. And uh, I used to, every night, I mean, I stopped going to parties where I knew my abstinence was a threat. I stopped hanging out with friends where I knew my abstinence was a threat. I stopped going out to dinner with people where I knew I just would be too uncomfortable. I just stopped a lot of things. All I wanted to do was to get better. I looked at it as life and death. And I felt very safe in AAOACANA meetings. I felt very safe. So when I was getting thinner, small, um, and I started to have people, you know, look at me or whatever on occasion, uh, you know, sometimes I played around. I mean, that's the truth. I didn't get nuts. I don't think. I hope not. I don't know. <laughs> but but uh, but I always I always put the program in my abstinence first, no matter what. So if anyone was a threat to that. You know, got to go. I didn't care. I had to save my life. But, uh, but yeah, I knew I was nuts. Even being normal weight, I knew I was nuts. I knew it was in my head. I knew it. I knew it because that's what the big book says, and I believed it. I knew it was all in my head. doesn't matter what size you are. It's all in the head. I just want to be at peace. That takes work. Hope that helps. Yeah. Thank you. Um, you talked about your spirituality, spirituality and making you feel back to God, so my question is, you know, God is everything. Um, how about when things are not going, they're not, they're just absolutely not going the way that you want to accept and you need to be in the face of acceptance. Can you talk about how you can work with them? Yeah, yeah, I went, I, yeah. Uh, when things are not going too well in your life, how do you accept and keep the faith, basically? Um, yeah, I, I went through a few things where I really felt like God was not working out. God was not helping us. God has is punishing me. And um, I remember, and this went on for about a year and a half, of just being very angry at God. After all this, now this. And, um, you know, I felt the feelings. All I can say is I felt the feelings and I would cry and I would be scared and I would talk to God and I would yell at God and I would ask God what actions to take. I had to do something that was very scary um, when I was angry at God that I had to do it. But I did it with the help of some women in this program. And my experience has been that people work through God or God works through people. So there are certain women that are in my corner and I talk to them and I say, you know what? Other people don't have to go through this. Why me? Poor me. And um, it's, in all honesty, it's taken about five years to where I think we're finally over the hump. Um, but, you know, I've learned, too, that things, I as an addict want things solved now. I want to know the answer now. I want to know what to do now. And most of the time, life stuff most of the time doesn't get solved like that. It's not like a, a right now answer. It's something that happens over time and I do the best I can to do what I think God wants me to do. But I've learned that things happen over long spans of time in terms of major decision making stuff. Um, but it's really about being angry at God and keep talking about it to people. I talk about it. That helps me to talk about it. I have to talk about it. Okay. 
Two more minutes. Okay, yes. Thank you. Yeah. Um, do you have any foods that you consider alcohol? Oh, yes. Oh, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I learned after a year. My sponsor told me this, too, that sugar is off limits. Like, don't have sugar. That also meant alcohol. Like, you know, for me, having a drink of wine, it is sugar. I don't drink anyways. That was never an issue for me. But I sponsor people who are like, oh, well, I can have a drink. I'm like, good luck you know rock and roll I mean, it works for them for me I don't touch that um, for the first year it was kind of like anything that grew from the earth I had to kind of relearn how to eat so I through experience I've learned that um, anything colorful that comes from the earth I look at it as like this is God you know like salad bars it gals and I would go to fancy I loved you know I'm worth it that was a new thing I'm worth this effort so I would go to Gelson's and I would get these beautiful salads, you know, and I'd look at all the colors and I would look at it as like, I'm worth this. I'm worth the money of expensive fruits. I'm worth the money of expensive, healthy meals. Um, anything refined is like cocaine to me. I don't touch it unless I commit it like ice cream. But even then, I'm, I'm on alert, you know, radar's up. You know, so anything grown from the earth that comes from nature is good, if that makes any sense. And I still do that with my kids, even though they go, ooh, it's that, but we work with it. <laughs> Sometimes I give in to them, but I don't have what they have. I'll make something separate. They know mommy's like this. It's fine. Does that help? Okay. Okay, 935, we're done. Yay!